Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast, a special podcast series led by registered dietitian and nutritionist Lisa Jones. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions or consultant 360. Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast where we communicate the information that you need to know now about the science, psychology, and strategies behind the practice of dietetics. Today's podcast is part of a series of short episodes on food access, featuring a Q&A with Nicole Rodriguez. It is my honor today to have Nicole here. Nicole is an award-winning dietitian nutritionist based in the New York metro area, In addition to serving a diverse clientele via her telehealth-based practice, she is also the co-founder of Step Bite Step, a weight loss and physical activity program. Nicole is passionate about empowering individuals to feel good about the abundance of food choices at their fingertips and utilizes her co-hosting duties on the Food Bullying Podcast to do just that. While Nicole loves working one-on-one with clients towards their health goals, She also helps spread the word about food via her brand partnership, which have included American Dairy Northeast, the New York Beef Council, Bush Brothers and Company, General Mills, Wish Farms, California Leaf Greens, and Bear Crop Science. Right. Well, welcome to episode four of our food access series. Today, we're going to be talking about practical insights on optimal nutrition strategies. And during our our episode three, our most recent episode, We talked about debates in in dietetics with Nicole, and we did discuss food access, and we talked about surrounding equitable nutrition opportunities, and we did talk about controversies in addressing food insecurities. So Nicole, if you could sum up that conversation in one or two sentences, what would you say would be your key takeaways from our last episode? Really fast food can be a great equalizer, but also it's important for dietitians to recognize that it's the norm for a lot of different people in a lot of different situations. So recognizing it, being aware of it, and erasing some of the stigma surrounding it can allow us to better and more deeply connect with our patients and clients. Yes, thank you. And I love the equalizer. It's such a great soundbite. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about the practical insights and discuss improving food access. Nicole, I want to ask you, what would you say would be your practical strategies that other dietitians can employ to then shift their paradigm surrounding food accessibility? Obviously, we know that social media now is a really, really big vehicle for getting our messaging across as dietitians. Would you agree, Lisa? Yes, most definitely. Yeah. So, (laughs) so of course we have all of these different social media platforms, but additionally, we have things like this fabulous podcast. We might have other media opportunities that are more traditional and wherever we are, I think it's important to step back and think of who we're talking to and do a little checklist and considering are the foods that I'm discussing, are they economically accessible to a very large percentage of the population? 
Or am I out here discussing things that while they may be very beneficial nutritionally, they might be cost prohibitive. And I think kind of filtering the items on which you speak through that lens can overall long-term have a positive impact on how everyone views accessibility and making some of those foods that are more readily accessible, making them more accepted, making them more appealing. Yes. And it's all about, I think too, with community because, and could you share with us how, because you're, you're very active in the dietitian community, could you share maybe an analogy or a story of how you then helped another dietitian with this issue, with kind of shifting their paradigm around food accessibility? Because I know you speak on the topic and you've also shared your expertise with other people that were struggling in this area. I do. And I can say specifically, I feel that I've been successful in helping quite a few other dietitians change their view on consumption of lean red meat, specifically beef. And another part of this is recognizing that culturally, meat is a part of a, a lot of different meal patterns. And again, taking us full circle to that first conversation, we had Lisa talking about the buzz of plant-based, talking about what that means for communities at large when that message is not perhaps received in a way that's helpful. And I will say specifically talking about beef consumption, because we're talking about a lot of nutrient density, one in a small caloric package, but secondarily in a package that's very widely accepted from a taste perspective. Uh, so I had a couple of younger dietitians, they were actually not even dietitians yet. At the time, I invited them for some learning experiences that I was connected to through our local beef council on, on which I am now currently a board member and took a deeper dive into some of these concepts of, you know, one dispelling the myth is, is meat bad for the environment, right? We could do a whole episode on that, but when you have a deeper understanding of what does that actually mean? How do farmers, and I'll use example specifically in New York, as we talked about in our first episode, that here in our state, our farmers and ranchers actually, the way they care for their environment, the way they steward the land, so to speak, it actually has a positive effect on one of the largest public water systems, which is the New York City water system, right? So these farmers and ranchers are out there making improvements that end up having a positive impact on the water supply for a lot of the people that we talked about in our in our first episode there, right? So there's the environmental perspective. There's also dispelling the myth that meat is quote unquote too expensive when we have this little breakdown talking about accessibility when we're looking at the nutrient density, the B vitamins, the iron, the zinc, of course, the protein, looking at all of these things in a three ounce serving, there's actually, uh, there's actually a lot in there per pound when we're looking at the cost and maybe comparing it to something else. So 
having that learning experience so that someone else can now go out and say, hey, I've erased the stigma because we're talking about another beloved yet stigmatized food, right? That's accepted across a lot of different cultures for other dietitians to be able to go out and say, hey, actually, this is affordable when we break it down. Actually, when we're talking about getting more nutrition into kids, we know that flavor-wise it can be really readily accepted. And moreover, again, we're always looking for ways for foods to serve as vehicles for other foods that maybe we're not getting enough of, specifically our produce, looking and saying, well, actually, this very palatable acceptable and affordable food, if we look at some of the most favored dishes in our country, right, they will all have beef in common. And right, for the most part, we could work beef into any of them. And they can serve as a vehicle for produce as well. So have I had other conversations? Have I had conversations around fast food? Absolutely. Am I constantly having conversations around the idea of, hey, maybe let's not be out there talking only organic, here are the stats, use that safe fruits and veggies calculator, right? I would say that I'm most proud of empowering other dietitians to go out and speak confidently about red meat, especially when purse strings are a little tight right now and getting so much nutrient density in one serving of food is a really great strategy. Yes. And thank you so much for your empowerment to other dietitians, because I believe that that is helpful. And the key takeaway that I was listening to as you talk, but that is excellent with the food as vehicles, because I think that that the analogy and the, and the visualization that you can get with that, I think is helpful to clients when dietitians are working with their patients and clients. And I want to ask one final question. I know this is our last episode in this series of food access. But if you, Nicole, could go back to your younger self when you're working in the poorest congressional district population, what key takeaways out of all the episodes that we've discussed this topic, what two things would you tell your younger self to do? I would be out there making sure that no one was afraid to eat red meat. That's number one. And if I could time travel and put that safefruitsandveggies.com calculator <laughs> in everyone's pocket or just be in the produce section with that calculator, that would be that would be my number one and two magic wand moment right there. Yes. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and being on our episodes on food access. Thank you, Lisa. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. For more nutrition content, visit consultant360.com.